Hi, everyone. Welcome to episode number 16 of the Fitness Devil Podcast. And today we had a really cool guest on, uh, Lindsay Herrick Somerset. The last name should sound familiar. Yeah, she's Dean Somerset's wife and uh, works with him behind the scenes to help him with his business. Lindsay is a competitive uh, short track indoor cyclist, and she gets into some pretty heavy stuff where we talk about her battle with eating disorder, depression, anxiety, recovering from a serious injury, and maybe most of all, her love of dogs and how they have a big pile of them and they'd love to foster more. So hang around, uh, check out this really awesome episode. And uh, give us a five-star rating, uh, a review on iTunes. We could really benefit from those. We haven't gotten too many just yet. And uh, I know a lot of you guys are listening and loving this stuff. So if you just took the minute to two minutes to do that, just don't do it while you're driving if you're listening. Uh, when Pull over to the side of the road and uh, give us a five-star review. Thanks, guys, and enjoy. Shut up and sit down. All right, guys. Uh, welcome to our latest episode. And today our guest is uh, Lindsay Herrick Somerset, uh, Somerset. So I almost stumble over that. Thanks. Uh, <laughs> thanks for joining us, Lindsay. Uh, you're actually our first guest who isn't technically someone who works or trains with clients, nope. but you are inextricably linked to our world professionally and as an athlete. Uh, could you introduce yourself to our audience? Sure, I can totally do that. Um, I actually, you, long long time ago i actually used to be a personal trainer um that's actually how i met my significant other also known as dean somerset um who's that guy who's yeah who's that random guy he's sitting on the couch over there quietly (laughs) (laughs) um yeah uh as you described i am a i'm a competitive athlete i'm a track cyclist as well as a road cyclist um, I also am a dog mom to three rescue dogs. Uh, I run a animal rescue, uh, website and I also volunteer for two different animal rescue organizations in the city. I'm glad you added that. Cause I was going to like add that as a joke. Like, she's a dog mom, but yeah, <laughs> I should have known that was going to be the second thing you're going to say. Yeah. <laughs> All the dog lovers who listen are all of a sudden now real dyed in, oh, dialed in. They're, they're good. I can talk dogs all day long. We'll probably talk a lot about dogs. Yeah. As long as it's not cats, we're good. And now you've also, <laughs> not just competitive cyclists, but you've meddled on a national level. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so this past, oh goodness, this past uh, fall, I went out to the Nas- Canadian National Track Cycling Championships and got bronze in the 2K Pursuit. Cool. Yeah. That was was quite uh, unexpected. It was quite a shock when it happened because I was sitting first for a while. I set the fastest time and then there was four riders to go. And I cannot tell you how nerve wracking watching those last four riders to go was. Um, so much so that the when the last two riders went, I had to sit sit in the pit with my team and I had to like close my eyes and cover my ears because I was so nervous because the year before, which was my very first year going to nationals, I did the 500 uh, and I was sitting third for the longest time until the last two riders went and got bumped down to fourth. Well, and just for our listeners, can you kind of give us a little Cole's notes of 
track cycling. Just because uh, I'm listening, and I'm like, I assumed you guys all went together. <laughs> yeah, I, yeah. So, um, so track cycling, there, it's 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 quite complex, um, <laughs> really. So there's events where you're either what they classify as a sprinter. Yeah. Um, or what they classify as endurance athlete, which is kind of hilarious in terms of track cycling, because really like your longest races in track cycling are depending for the elites for the points race might be like a hundred laps, which it does sound like a lot, but it's like 20 minutes. So compared to road cycling where you're out there for, you know, two to four hours, depending on the race. So for the, my event and the event that I specialize in, it's a, in, it's basically like an individual timed event. So I'm basically riding as fast as I can for 2K. So it's not like you guys are on the same thing. You're crashing into each no. other. It's not roller derby or anything nope. like that on bicycles. No, nope. no. Nope. So with, which would be awesome. It, it would be awesome, but I had, it depends on the event. I have seen, uh, some, pretty nasty crashes in track cycling. It does happen when you start getting into the bunch of events and there's a lot of uh, sprints happening. So like the points race can get a little chaotic, things like uh, for certain events in the Omnium with like the elimination race can get very chaotic very quickly. So, but I don't do those. Now we're talking about all this cycling stuff, but we've got a few things we're going to go through about some of these really crazy obstacles that you've encountered as you've gone to actually get to that level. So it's not just like training smooth sailing. No. So I'll let Dean ask the first one. I was going to be like, why don't you just segue to it? Okay. So you battled with an eating disorder growing up. Yeah. Um, people may not have realized how common of an experience this is, especially for athletes. Mm-hmm. So not, and not everyone speaks openly about it. So could you kind of just chronicle that experience and kind of just let the audience know about how you came to grips with that and your personal battle with that in sports? Sure. Um, so it started it started when I was in high school. Um, I was never really, you know, overweight or anything like that. I was quite athletic. Um, I was really into basketball at the time. I grew up in a small town in southern Saskatchewan. So I was probably one of the few people who didn't play hockey. <laughs> but uh, I was super into basketball. I played soccer, volleyball, all sorts of stuff. And... It, it was kind of a weird thing how it came about. So I ended up having to get braces and to make room for uh, everything that was overcrowding my teeth, I had to get four molars pulled as well as all all my wisdom teeth pulled. And it was done in a very short amount of time. So I got my braces. So of course, you know, for anybody who's gone through that, you can't really eat normal food at that time. You're kind of on a liquid diet or whatnot. And... I was still kind of playing sports, still being active. And then all of a sudden, you know, when you're getting compliments as a 16-year-old as a girl, when you're getting compliments of, oh, well, you know, you look really great. Have you lost weight? You know, to the average person, it sounds like a great compliment to say. But in my mind, I'm thinking, wow, okay, I must not have looked good before. I must have been, you know, overweight. And so then that's where that kind of started. This is actually something that I've encountered in our industry. Yeah. You have, uh, you know, especially new trainers who are dealing with eating disorders, it's really important that you're aware of this stuff and refer this stuff out to the mm-hmm. appropriate, uh, like, psychiatrists yeah. and what have you. Let's say client comes in after the weekend and they ask you, hey, how do I look? And well-intentioned, you say, oh, you're looking great. You're looking lean. Yeah. You don't know that they didn't starve themselves for two to three days. 
And this is positive reinforcement of very negative behavior. Yeah. And this is what you encountered. Yeah. And it, and like I said, and it's like, I don't want to be that person to say, you can't tell somebody they look great, but I think you have to be really aware of it, especially like, unless you know someone's, you know, the, like as you guys I'm sure have, you know, with clients who are, you know, busting their ass in their gym and are there specifically because they're like, hey, I want to lose, you know, a few pounds or whatnot. And, you know, you see a little bit of muscle development and it's like, hey, you're, you know, you're looking really good. But like I said, saying that to a 16 year old girl and then you're like, oh, okay, well, then I'm just going to keep going with this. Um, it was around that time where I actually started running and then it just, it just spiraled. It just spiraled really, really fast where all of a sudden my life became about the number on the scale. How low can it go? Yeah. Um, as well as, um, you know, you start seeing the clothing size you wear drop. And once again, as a teenage girl and you're bombarded constantly with, well, this size is the perfect size. And this, and this was, like I said, this is in the 2000s. This is before social media. So I didn't, I wasn't even constantly having to face everything like you see on the Instagrams and whatnot. Even still, you know, um, fashion magazines, the Cosmopolitans, the glamours of the world with Photoshop models. This stuff has been around a long time. People think that Photoshop, Instagram, fitness girls is a brand new thing. No, it's it's just a new manifestation of a, a very, enduring problem yeah so i mean at that time i started reading things like shape magazine and everything and once again and every once in a while they have great content but it was all of a sudden about oh here's the workout you need here's the workout you can do to burn 600 calories so then it started becoming about okay i started looking at food labels i started you know calculating well if i eat this i need to do this to burn it off and i became obsessed with it this is the dark side of the if it fits your macros side yeah. of things that people can take too far yeah and and it did it became an absolute obsession so i mean i i was probably you know like nor- like i said normal healthy weight and then all of a sudden I start going down and down and, you know, I started wearing, I went from like a size eight to, you know, a six to a four to a two to a zero. And by the time I hit, you know, zero. And once again, I'm thinking nothing is out of the ordinary. Everything's fine. Everything's fine. And then it wasn't until, um, I had family members who saw me and they were shocked. They were shocked of how much weight I had lost. And, at that point, my parents kind of were like, you know, we're we're concerned about you. And I'm thinking, well, there's nothing wrong. There's nothing wrong. Because at that point, I, I was starting to get really deep at that yeah. point. And it was because it was anorexia and exercise bulimia for me. And I would wake up and I would exercise and I would exercise for all hours of the day. And I would barely eat anything. I think I would maybe eat you know, maybe a total of like 600 calories, but I would just be constantly exercising. And I was going to say, just to clarify for people listening, exercise bulimia would be when you try to rep- burn the calories yeah. that you eat. Yeah. yeah. This sounds eerily similar to, and we both read this book, uh, Conscious Coaching by yeah. Brett Bartholomew. And uh, I met him in Seattle this past uh, September. And, but he talks about this sort of thing and how... Because that was his story too. Yeah, that's totally his story. Wow. Like you're reading or saying this and it's, I'm remembering what 
I read from him and it yeah. sounds like a carbon copy of it. So you might find that really fascinating. That's that's interesting. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it, uh, it just kind of progressed and my, you know, obviously I started, stopped kind of focusing on school. Like I went from being an honor roll student to barely passing half of my classes because I was just, I was constantly thinking about exercise. I was constantly thinking about what am I going to do next? And I would sit there in class and just, you know, shake because I would just, that's all I would think about. It was an obsession for me. And at my lowest point of my weight, um, to give you an idea right now, I'm 135 pounds and I'm five, six at my lowest, I was 89 pounds. So, and I, I think I was about 17 at the time. Well, what were you before? 18. Like, just like, so when all this started, you would have been... Probably about like 120. So like, you know, normal, yeah. normal, healthy weight. Like I said, I was never overweight, um, really at any point. Um, but yeah, it just, it started spiraling. And then, in, like I said, I just became obsessed with the exercise and I would run and run and run and run. And I can't tell you the number of fights that I had with my parents about that. And, and living in small town Saskatchewan, everybody knew everything. So I'd go out for a run. People would automatically go to my parents and say, your daughter was out running again. And so as an, as a teenage girl, I'm thinking, why are you trying to ruin my life? Like it's none of your did, business. And did you, and this is, I guess the internet was still pretty crazy. Like that would have been 2005. Uh, about two. 2000, 2001. So were you, and this is like personal, but the, were you like looking this stuff up and you knew ish what was happening or like? Um, yes and no. Like, it is small town Saskatchewan. That's what I'm asking. Yeah. So. Yeah. Um, so for me, like I said, I would, I'd go and I'd read like, you know, the shape magazines. Yeah. And, uh, like I said, it was the shape magazines. The Ox- oxygen magazine was the other one I read too. Cause I was, it's so it's so weird because I was obsessed with losing weight, but I wanted to put on muscle too because I wanted to have the ripped six pack abs and you know the perfect body and everything like that, which I never did. I can tell you that right now. Even at you know eighty nine pounds, I never had that. So well, you can't in that. No, with it was a constant star- starvation mode. Yeah, you're not doing any of the things you need to no. build that lean muscle mass. No, none. And it's funny because I was even trying to like lift weights at the time and yeah but once again when you're in constant starvation mode yeah yeah like i like to shit on uh, people who are obsessed with uh, fasted cardio and fasted training and how useless that stuff out. is but i mean this is on a <laughs> extreme level of fasted at that point so yeah. you're not going to get anywhere doing that no and what's actually really shocking is like i'm actually surprised my body never actually like shut down like based on how little I was eating and how hard I was going, like I'm actually shocked. My body never gave out or shut down, or I never had organs actually shut down. That's like looking back. That's the part that really shocks me. A lot of people probably don't even understand those are real dangers of this. No, and a lot of people dealing with eating disorders, they don't actually success, forgive the word, but successfully get to that level of smallness. Yeah, which I know a lot of them are really seeking. You did. Yeah. That's kind of scary when you think about it. Is it is really scary. And it's funny because I actually have like photos of me um, back like in high school. Actually, if my grad photo when I graduated high school, I actually have that photo and you can actually count the ribs on my chest. Like they're popping out that much. 
Um, but one of the, what, this is never, I never thought I'd say this, but an injury is actually what saved me. Um, I, because of all the running I did, um, I ended up like pretty badly, um, straining my hip flexor to the point where I couldn't run. I couldn't do anything. I was in pain. And I was basically at that point, I was forced to rest. Um, I really think had that not happened, I probably just would have kept going. And that was around the time where I was moving up to Edmonton to go to school, to live with my sister. And yeah, I, I, I honestly think that's one of the things that saved my life. Like, I mean, my parents had tried to get help. You know, I'd seen doctors. I had been pulled out of classes to see school counselors. And, you know, once again, when you're, when you're that deep into it, you're thinking, I don't understand what the problem is. Why is everybody on my case? Right. Even though, like I said, looking back, it's like, oh yeah, that's, that's why everybody was trying to stick their nose in my business because like I was heading down a really dangerous and potentially deadly path at that point. Well, you're in no position to be able to see it objectively. No. And it's just, there's an obsession that's driving this and let's, yeah. let's call it space. But it is mental illness that people are dealing it with. It totally is. Yeah. And I'm, people don't like necessarily being stigmatized or categorized like that. And it'd be nice to dispense with stigma, but it is important that if someone is dealing with some of this stuff or you have someone around you, like start getting really serious about getting in front of a medical professional yeah. who can deal with this stuff. Yeah. And, you know, to the personal trainers listening here, you guys are not, we are not equipped to deal with this. We can't touch this stuff. We really need to make sure these people are getting in front of professionals who can help them. Mm-hmm. You're just not qualified to handle it. Well, and I'll also add to that too. Like if you know someone going through that, don't tell them to just stop exercising or tell them, we'll just, just eat. That doesn't <clears throat> help. I'll tell you that right now. It literally doesn't do anything. I can't t- I can't tell you the number of times. Well, have you just tried eating more? Have you just tried not working out? Have you just tried not being depressed? Have you just tried not I'll get into that anxiety? one, yeah. That's where we're going next. Yeah, so. yeah that's exactly it. So well, Let's actually go there. Like, you know, we talked about like you fought multiple battles and the depression and anxiety are some of the things you've also talked about. Mm-hmm. And, and you basically have had a very successful athletic career in spite of those. Yeah you go like launch into that whole area of conversation? Oh, well, I mean, it, it really wasn't until this past summer is when I finally kind of almost, almost had like a break, basically. Like things have been building and building and building for me. Um, you know, I mean, between dealing, like I never really fully dealt with everything from my eating disorder. I've, um, had some losses in my life that I, you know, just never really fully dealt with. Um, and then also too, like I'm at the age where I kind of, I joke about how I had kind of a midlife crisis this past year, even though I'm not, you know, quite midlife according to a lot of people, but I, you know, I'm at the, I'm at the point in my age where people I know it's either one of two things. People are either really focused in their career and I'm still trying to figure that out or people are off, you know, having families, having kids. And that's not something that I, I have and I'm going to have for a variety of reasons. Well, you have the fur family. Yes. 
Yeah. So, but there's a lot of pressure there, especially as, you know, for women, the, well, when are you having kids? When are you having kids? And it's the constant, it's the question, it's judgment and everything. So I was like, I am at the age I'm at and I'm like, I felt like a failure. I was like, I, I haven't accomplished anything. And yeah, like with the depression and the anxiety, like it had been something that I'd been dealing with kind of off and on, uh, like I said, for a few years, but it was just this past year. It would, it just, it got so bad to the point where I actually almost quit cycling. I almost, I almost quit a number of times. Um, I never really disgusted a lot with a lot of people and really where my, it's, it's kind of odd, but where my, the break for me and the, the point where it's like, you know, I really need to seek help here is, um, you know, you hear a lot in the news about, um, celebrity deaths and, um, suicides and everything. And, you know, obviously there was Chris Cornell, but the one that for whatever reason hit me and hit me really hard was Chester Bennington of Lincoln Park. And I don't know why, but when I heard that and that happened, that to me, like, I, I almost had, like, I had kind of a breakdown that day and it was something where I'm like, you know, I got to finally get, I got to finally get a grip on this because, you know, I was, I was constantly, I was up, I was down, I was moody. I was, you know, I'd snap at the dogs, I'd snap at Dean. Um, it just, it, it just wasn't good. And it's also interesting because I'm somebody who, worked at a crisis center for two years i've taken distress line training so i think it's it's easier i i always knew i needed help but it wasn't until i actually said it out loud which that i think is the hardest part for anybody is to say i need help and that's when i finally reached out and got help well you've you care so much about your dogs and animals and we're going to get into that a whole lot more <laughs> dean's pointing at me because i'm not speaking directly to the mic so <laughs> we'll focus on that and but you're someone like you're helping other people with this stuff yeah. and hannah gray who was on one of our podcasts not too long ago talked about this all this pressured for women especially to be there for everyone else their yeah. families but not and society says that they have to take on that role they're not necessarily always capable of prioritizing themselves and yeah. their needs and that's what it sounds like mm-hmm yeah. Well, and then also too, like I, I'm somebody who I watched my own mother deal with, um, depression as well. She had actually a, um, a pretty big breakdown a few years ago. So, I mean, that's something that definitely weighed heavily on me. Um, and a loss that was really hard for me and just devastated me to the point where once again, and I just kind of just kind of kept pushing it off, pushing it off, pushing it off. And this, and like I said, I'm like, this sounds crazy. I'm sure to some people, but when the loss of our dog bandit, um, you know, we had him for eight years. Like he was basically my family. It was, he was a dog that, you know, was there. If, if you've ever had a pet, you know, like they're there for you no matter what. And this was a dog that had been there for me for really great times and really, really hard times. And the loss of him was so sudden and unexpected that it just, like, it broke me to the point where I just, I blamed myself for his loss. And he did, he ended up having a brain tumor is more, is what it was. But, you know, there were little signs and whatnot, but 
it was, it was hard and I blame myself for that. And I just carried that for the longest of times. And yeah, it was just, it was hard. Well, I just want to touch, if we go back to Chester, just because that was pretty impactful to myself as well, is just that you think it was because he was so successful and yeah. like he could have the whole like, audio slave as well, but they happened so consecutively. Yeah. That like, okay, maybe if like they're dealing with this shit, like it's real because it's not like you look at them and their their life's perfect. Yeah. Like why are, would they do that? These guys are best friends too. So yeah. there there's a relationship between these things. I think one of the keys may be that Chester was, I believe, about 40 or 41. We grew up with him. Yeah. Like, we watched Lincoln Park yeah. break. Yeah. I, I, I did too. Yeah. Whereas someone like Robin Williams, who's a really prominent example of this thing, too. Robin was of a generation before us. Mm-hmm. We grew up, and he was already very established, but we watched someone who became successful, who is, like, virtually my age, mm-hmm. and this can happen. And I think it feels a little bit more close to us versus someone who has always been a star in our eyes who yeah. has battled this sort of thing for a very long time. It, it just seems closer to home. Yeah, well, and, and the, the hardest part with that, you know, when you guys bring that up is everybody thinks, well, you have everything. Why are you depressed? Why Why do you feel that way? You know, why Why would you just throw it all away? And, and, that, was, and that was the other thing was the guilt for me. It was... I, I was so scared to come out and say it because it's like, well, you have a perfect life, like on paper. You know, you have a great marriage. You live in a great house. You travel. You have this. You have that. You know, your family's great and everything like that. And on paper, you know, what what do you have to be depressed about? You know, the, and then especially you see everything that's gone on this past year and all of the awful shit that goes on in the world. And, you know, you're you're just like... There's that level of guilt and it made things even worse. And that's another reason why I just didn't say things. And I just hid it for the longest time. Cause I'm thinking, man, you gotta just, you gotta suck it up because it's like people have a way worse than you. What do you have to be depressed about? But that's not what it is. You can't, you can't control that. Depression doesn't care if you're a multi millionaire or if you're somebody living on the street it's i mean mental illness it doesn't it doesn't care right another good example is uh i I maybe your friends on as well but dean's friend john romanello yeah right and john is very open about his depression his battles uh, and it's been a very serious thing and you know if anyone who's listening and this is something that hits home going and searching john romanello and reading some of the stuff he's putting out there is a really good exploration mm-hmm. of this stuff too it could be really helpful and he's just a brilliant guy and a brilliant writer too so someone i follow a lot yeah and you actually it's great that you bring that up because he's somebody else who kind of after reading his stuff and going back and, and reading that i i identified with it a lot um not necessarily i i can say if i can say fully that it was never to the point of uh suicidal for me or anything like that i can honestly say that but i didn't want it to get to that point but yeah like reading a lot of his stuff it was something that i identified with and it's like you know like when he shared that i was in tears because i'm just like you know it's so good to finally read somebody or read something from somebody who i get and who's very open and honest with it um and like i said after everything with chester bennings chester bennington's death like that's when i was like you know i gotta go see someone and i did i went and saw a therapist and worked with a therapist throughout the summer and that my probably my biggest piece of advice is if you're dealing with 
any of this, get help. Don't suffer in silence. Don't think you can do it on your own because you can't. And there's literally no shame in seeing a therapist, going on medication. Like there's none. I think there's still so much stigma, but you know, we taught, and once again, and it goes back to that, well, have you ever tried not being depressed? Don't say that to somebody (laughs) who's going through that. Because that's like, you would never say to someone who's going through cancer, well, have you ever tried not having cancer? You would never say that. It sounds ridiculous. There there almost is that kind of bullshit out there because, again, rabbit hole we won't go too far. No. No. (laughs) David Avocado Wolf bullshit that says, you know, oh, the picture of the forest and you should get out this. This is a cure for depression. And then a picture of all the pills and all this stuff is poison. Like, guys, stop sharing that bullshit seriously. Because you're adding to the stigma and there are people who really may need this stuff. And it doesn't help. Like I said, I mean, and I wasn't... Like I said, I wasn't, you know, I mean, it was bad, but I mean, I could still function. Whereas it's like, I've known people who've gone in through serious depressive episodes where, you know, they, they're contemplating ending their own life. And when you're sharing shit like that, that doesn't help people. It doesn't help at all. Guys, it makes I, it worse. Guys, I really wish you could actually visualize kind of like the pain and like <laughs> almost tearing up Lindsay's got right now because this is obviously really personal and passionate. So well, t- take this shit seriously. Like well, stop st- sharing stupid bullshit on social media that actually is probably having doing more harm than good to people that you know. So Well, let's tie this to uh, – let's just tie this to athletics because we'll have some people <laughs> that will kind of want to – like, what can this do for my performance? So can you just kind of explain how it affected your performance and kind of what happened after you started seeing the therapist? You know what I mean? Like, once you started addressing some of those issues. Yeah. So um, as I said, I almost quit cycling this past year. Um, in hindsight, I'm really glad I didn't. Um, so I started working with my therapist probably about mid-summer. So kind of like midway through my season. And really like the first the first few were the first few sessions were a little rough she kind of we kind of dug into things I didn't even think were issues and they were um but it was very good um but then you know like there was there was a couple points where it was hard I didn't want to go to training um I didn't want to race I didn't sign up for a couple of races I had planned to sign up for um I made excuses for it um, as I had done in the past when I just wasn't feeling up for it. Um, but then, you know, as the therapy sessions kind of went on and I kind of started feeling good, another thing that I actually started doing and I highly recommend it too is I started meditating. Um, if you're looking for a really great app, I use the Headspace app. It's awesome. So I started meditating for about 10 minutes every night And I found when I did that, I found I was a lot more centered and calm. And when I was centered and calm, I could go into training sessions. I could go into races and I would be completely relaxed. Um, The greatest example I could say was at Nationals right before the pursuit this year. Um, You know, normally I'd be really nervous. This was probably the calmest I've ever been before race. And clearly it, uh, I knew that I knew the task at hand and I, I wasn't nervous. I just went in, did my thing and clearly it paid off. You so meddled. I did, meddled. Did you, did you meditate before? Like, or like, did you do it the night before? Like, yep. 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 I totally did. 
And it's and the great thing about with the Headspace app is there's different meditation for different things. So there's one for anxiety, there's one for sleep, there's one for competition. Yeah. Um all sorts of things. There's fear of flying, there's all <laughs> all sorts of different ones. It's great. So So just to segue into our next question, is there an app for um meditation for recovering from serious back injuries? Oh, Dean, uh, Dean, <laughs> you know there's a there's a place in the market that you could exploit. He's over there nodding. Sure, yeah. That leads me to my next question. Despite all, well, with all of these things, yes. you've kind of add to the mix. You recovered from a serious back injury. So, again, Dean is sitting here listening and watching and looking at his cell phone. Um, he's in your corner, which happens to be someone that's fairly decent at these types of things. Yep. But everyone knows back pain and injuries are hugely common especially mm-hmm. among athletes so how did you go about recovering from this injury and kind of adding to all of this stuff you're dealing with okay i'll give you the cole's notes version of how the back injury came about so you're picking up your dog actually no this was this was years ago actually this is back in 2003 i just because i was still racing triathlon at the time because i originally went into race triathlon and I was in Hinton. I can remember this part very vividly. This was my second triathlon ever. And I was on the bike portion. It was my second time ever on a road bike, which I really don't recommend doing. And I was going down a hill and I basically hit the I hit a patch of gravel and I hit the brakes, but I think I hit the front brake. Oh, I, yeah. This part I don't really remember because I blacked out. Um, from what I was told, I flipped over my handlebars. My bike was somewhere on the road and I was somewhere in a ditch. Like that's Jesus. how awful of an impact it was. I don't remember anything until I was coming to and I was on the back of a stretcher. Concussion. Yeah, massive concussion. Like my helmet was split like right open. Wear your helmets, kids, because they can and will save your life. I will say that. Um, but yeah, like I, I just remember waking up and I'm thinking, I got to finish the race and there's EMS standing over me and they're like, um, you're done. <laughs> you're, you're done. We're going to the hospital <laughs> right now. They're like, you're in a really bad cycling accident. And I, I didn't even realize how bad it was. And I just, I still remember there was just tears running down my face at that point, And I was terrified and going to the hospital and I won't go into full details here, but, um, I basically ended up doing kind of a face plant on the highway and I had braces at the time and the braces were the only thing that saved my teeth. If I wouldn't have had my braces, pretty much my entire front part of my teeth would have been gone. Wow. Okay. That's graphic. Yeah. I I want, once again, I won't go into the full, full details. There's, there's another awful part that I won't go into um, because readers or listeners don't need to fully hear that. But basically, shit went down. Shit went down. Um, I ended up with, and I still have a scar. I had ended up with 15 stitches in my face. Mm. I still have permanent road rash on my neck because of that. Um, I did end up with a massive concussion. I was in the hospital for about a week in the Hinton Hospital. Um, but what I didn't realize is the way I had landed, it had somehow. Because I, w- I was also hypermobile, which I think is quite common for a lot of um, females yeah. out there. Um, I ended up uh, like jamming and straining my um, right SI joint. 
and causing a lot of damage to it. Cause I just remember I was in searing, like I almost couldn't walk, um, a month after because it was so inflamed and whatnot. Um, so I went to physio, got it to calm down, you know, I digress, but I ended up getting a new road bike a few years later. Um, wasn't quite fit properly. It was too small for me. So I was quite in a flex forward position and I was just getting into road cycling at the time, like road racing. So, I mean, I'm doing two, three hour rides on a bike that's not fitted properly, hypermobile. So I ended up really basically overstretching the ligaments in and around my SI joint to the point where, you know, your SI joint's supposed to sit normal like this. Mine was like this and it was constant. She's, she's showing us basically two fists and one fist just getting cranked up. Yeah. FYI. Yeah. yeah. Which is not good. No, and no, and it's, it was quite painful. Um, it was so bad to the point where I couldn't even get on the bike for five minutes without going into severe muscle spasms. So I ended up, uh, so I went there, I went to multiple different physios, chiropractors. I'm thinking, oh, my core is just weak. You know, you know, I, I didn't know. I didn't know what, how, like what the extent of everything was. Cause I just kind of kept training through it. And, you know, even, you know, working with Dean and Dean's great, but I mean, <laughs> like, he's not a, he's not a physio, he's not a doctor. We Like, we didn't know. We didn't know what the problem was. And it wasn't until I went and saw a physio in uh, St. Albert, shout out to Dawn Payne, who I love her, um, who specializes kind of in like back injuries and everything like that. And she assessed me and she's like, you need to take time off the bike. And I'm thinking, oh, well, how long? And she's like, at least a year. And I can't, I I basically had a breakdown in her office when she told me that because she's like, you're, she's like, the ligaments in and around your SI joint are so damaged and stretched out. She's like, they're not going to heal on their own. And she's like, if you continue to do what you do, she's like, it's going to get worse to the point where like, you literally won't be able to, to do anything. So I was forced to take a complete year off the bike and not just off the bike. I couldn't do any running because no impact. I could do no lower body weights, so no squats, no lunges, nothing, because I couldn't have anything load-bearing on that joint while it was trying to heal. Um, what made the difference was I was doing the IMS, which is basically the dry needling, because things were so tight, because everything was just trying to hold on, like my, like, and I had no glutes, I had no muscle in my back, like nothing. Um, Basically, my back was doing all the work instead of, you know, normally your glutes should be doing a lot of the work and yeah, none of that. So basically, my low back was doing all the work, all, taking all the force, everything, anytime I was cycling, running, which that's not good. That's really not what sh- should be taking the the full brunt of the force. And I had to also do something called prolotherapy. I don't know if you guys have heard of that. Heard of it. I don't know much about it. Okay. So I was referred down to a sports medicine doctor in Calgary. Um, there are naturopaths who do it, but I went with a sports medicine doctor for that um, because 
what it basically was was injections of like a dextrose uh, solution to help create inflammation, which in turn helps create healing because ligaments don't really heal on their own because they don't really get a lot of blood flow. So it was injections basically along my spine. Hence, that's why I really wanted to go with a sports medicine doctor because yep. you don't want to mess with, you know, needles going in and around your spine. No. Because that could go really bad really quick. Um, basically having to get about 20 injections in and around my spine, in through my glutes, um, just to help create those, the inflammation and the healing process. And I'm, it was about one of the only things that worked. It was the only things that just, that helped. Clearly it got you back on your bike again. It did. It did. So, um, I had to go. I had to go t- two different rounds. So there was about 10 rounds the first time or two different occasions. So there was the 10 rounds the first time. Uh, and then there was about a year or two apart where I had to go back again for a few few extra injections because, you know, you just kind of keep training it through that point. And I think I pushed a little too much too soon. But um, between that, the IMS, and then just, having to slowly build time back up on the bike, having to slowly build everything back up in the weight room. Like there's a re like even to this day, <coughs> pardon me, even to this day, there's a reason why I still have to be very careful with things like back squats. Um, you know, I have to be careful with how much weight I use and I have to be careful with the depth because I have to protect my back. So so uh, what uh, what kind of role did the big guy over here on the couch have to do oh, with your man. recovery? Um, well, I mean, he worked a lot with my physio because obviously there was a I had a lot of restrictions on me for a very long time. Um, so him and her kind of worked together, and then it was just kind of you know slowly building in those exercises and slowly getting my my leg strength back up. Um, yeah, you, and you never fought the whole time. Because I train my way. Uh, <laughs> it's, it always is smooth. <laughs> I wouldn't say it was smooth the entire time. Did at any point Dean say, you know what? I, I know a head full of really great trainers. I could probably <laughs> help with this because... <laughs> did he get to the point where he was nearly fed up? Um, once or twice. <laughs> once or twice. Mm. Yeah. No. I kid, but I know the, I know the struggle. I don't currently have that problem. Uh, <laughs> now... Bringing Dean into this whole thing, too, is you guys have, like, the basement of champions. Yeah. You have as many dogs as you can legally care for. <laughs> I like how you brought up legally, yes. Yeah, there, there are restrictions we're, because I'm sure there would be a lot We're allowed more. three dogs so that Edmonton doesn't become overrun with people with ten yeah. dogs each. Okay, but I found a loophole with that, though. What's okay. a loophole? Actually, I want to know the loophole. Yeah, okay, loophole. so the loophole with that is you can only have three dogs registered to your household, but... He's going to get mad at me here. <laughs> um, but I found out that doesn't apply to if you're fostering and specifically if you're fostering puppies like under six months of age. So, okay. yeah. So you can have a bunch of puppies. It's so it's unlimited. I think you're still <laughs> limited, but uh, yeah. So there may or may not eventually be a foster puppy so in, in our, in our <laughs> well, three dogs that we own. But. You could also operate a kennel. <laughs> Yeah, there's that too. <laughs> Doggy daycare. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so where, do, where does this Breed all come dogs? from? And could you tell us a little bit about your projects involved in, uh, <clears throat> you know, dog 
care and, and advocacy and yeah, and sure. Um, I'm a I call my I call myself an animal rescue educator and advocate. Um, I also try to educate as much as I can on responsible pet ownership. Nope. Um, I just found there was not a lot of resources out there for people. Um, I think it be- it came about when I was volunteering for with an animal uh, rescue adoption event, and you know, we had people coming in thinking, oh, they're going to adopt a dog from the floor that day or, oh, my daughter's birthday's today. Can I take oh. this kitten home? And, you know, and there, there was a lot of misinformation. There was a dog. We had just gotten a dog return from somebody. Sorry, a puppy that was returned because, wait for it, the puppy was acting like a puppy. So the puppy was doing things like chewing and, yeah. you know, not housebroken. Well, it's a puppy. That it's a puppy. Like that's, that's kind of your job and you take that on when you get a puppy. But maybe it's best that they did bring that puppy back. Oh, uh, yeah. They wouldn't have been equipped or no. give that dog a great life. No. So. And I mean, like we, we, we screen as much as we can. We, we do everything. But I mean, it's like when you're hiring for, you know, when you're hiring for a position, I mean, you always hope you get the best candidate. You do everything you can to try and get the best candidate. It doesn't always work out where it's the best candidate. And I also, because I have a, a background in human resources, I view animal adoption as applying f- when you're applying, when you're applying to adopt an animal, I view it as up trying to apply for a job. You're not going to hear back that exact day. You're not going to get the job that exact day. And yes, there are steps you need to take, like an interview, like home check. Like there's there's obvious steps that we need to take. And it's funny how some people don't get it. And it's so frustrating. And the one that always gets us is, well, it's easier to adopt a kid than it is to adopt an animal. And that just makes us shake our head because we know in one of the rescues I, I volunteer with, she's... You know, she's a foster mom as well as she's adopted kids and she just like shakes. <laughs> she's like, yeah, that's that's not how that goes. I guess there's also danger in making people feel like this process to adopt animals is overly complicated because then they can go up to a puppy mill, which yeah. is an issue. And yes. you have people who are happy to sell without yep. any hurdles whatsoever mm-hmm. these animals. So you know, your thoughts on that? Oh, <sighs> It's it's frustrating, and that's where I'm trying to do the education part. Um, that's one of the reasons I started my website for the Love of Animal Rescue. Um, and like I, I I've written about that. I've uh, I did a three part uh, post about it. It's called So You Want to Adopt an Animal, and I go through all of the steps. So like the before you even put in an application to when you submit your application to when you, you know, take the animal home. But then I also talk about things about, you know, I I understand if people are looking for certain breeds of dogs, that's fine. We love Boston Terriers. We always have. Unfortunately, we're limited with the types of breeds that we can get because of Dean's allergies. And that's, that's fair. That's fine. Um, we also can't, we also know we're not equipped to take on dogs with serious, you know, behavioral issues. So a lot of aggression issues, severe separation anxiety. We know what our limits are. And I have no problem when people want to go through a breeder, but please do your research and please do your homework. If you're gonna go through a breeder, look for someone who is a Canadian Kennel Club 
certified breeder, registered breeder, or anyone American listening, um, American Kennel Club um, registered breeder. And these are the people who like they will breed these animals. They will do the, the health testing. They don't breed their animals every year. And it's very, it's very small litters. And yes, it is expensive. But at the same time, when people are like, oh, you know, you paid $2,000 for a purebred dog through this breeder. Well, I hate to break it to you. There's backyard breeders who charge the same amount and who will give away sick animals. It's happened. I've seen it. Well, it's just, even if you go on the other end of that, um, I guess doing your due diligence, but also... I like that you do the education piece because mm-hmm. essentially if, if you want, like, let's just say a pit bull. Um, mm-hmm. And again, some people return dogs with aggression issues. If you're not equipped to deal with dogs with aggression issues, like I've seen people that just adopt a dog for the sake of adopting a dog and yeah. they're not equipped to adopt any dog, let alone one with actual problems. So, no. And that goes back to the whole education piece, which yeah. ties in the breeding, which ties into even adoption. So that's huge. Yeah. It's, it is, it is huge. And, like I said, there, there's there's a ton of resources out, you know, I mean, there's a ton of resources out there for everything. Um, you know, you get people having babies and there's a ton of baby books, there's blogs, there's this, there's everything. You're almost bombarded with a ton of information. Well, when I went to take a look about, you know, animal adoption, there really wasn't a lot out there or in terms of you know, resp- like I said, responsible pet ownership. So, m- like, I'm a huge proponent of spaying and neutering your pets. I wrote a blog post about that. Um, I can't even begin to describe how important it actually is. And I get so frustrated when people choose not to spay and neuter their animals, but I won't go on a rant right now. <laughs> well, fair enough. You'd be Andrew. <laughs> <laughs> okay, um, let's switch this back over. So, this guy named Dean Somerset has a career, um, and you actually have a very critical part of that. So that usually goes unseen. So what's your involvement and contribution to the Dean Somerset show? Oh, okay. Um, well, I actually work. I do everything. Yeah, I do it all. <laughs> um, like in terms of who runs the show, to be honest, the dogs really run the show in our <laughs> household, I'll be honest. Um, I don't think Dean would disagree with me on that one at all. Um but I do a lot of administrative work for his online business. So I do, um, anyone who submits, uh, like exams for marking, I'm the ones, uh, marking the exams, sending out the CEUs. Um, I do a lot of the online bookkeeping, just the basic accounting. Um, when H, uh, high tensile strength was being sold and people, you know, ordered that adamantium package and were looking for their t-shirts and he named it that, not me. <laughs> That's a great name. <laughs> he is very pleased with himself over there right yes, now. Yes, he is. <laughs> <laughs> so I would be the one sending out the, the t-shirts and the packages and everything. And then just general, um, like general day-to-day, like, house like stuff you know um if he's got to go to the airport i'll drive him out to the airport uh even sometimes at ungodly hours of the morning when you have ridiculously early flights i think you deserve another dog (laughs) (laughs) he's shaking his head no um and then 
like the support goes both ways because I mean, like he went out to nationals with me. Um, you know, he's helping me, um, you know, get prepped for races. Like if I have a race in Calgary, he'll come down to Calgary with me. Um, you know, if I have a late training session, he'll be the one making supper. Like there, there's no specific roles in our house where it's like, oh, well you do this and I do, you know, I do the cooking and cleaning. He does that. No, that, that. Your team. We're, we're a team. And, and that's why, that's why it works. Right. Um, <coughs> like I, I, I will say like I do predominantly most of the cooking, but the reason why <laughs> is because I, one, I actually love doing it. Um, and two, when, you know, he was working hours of like, you know, 6 a.m. till 6 p.m. Oh, I'm not going to not like I'm already making supper for me. I'm not going to not make supper for him. I'd be, you know, kind of a shitty wife at that point and partner. But I mean, if the foot was on the other, you know, if she was on the other foot or whatever that saying is, um, you know, same thing. He's done that. If I'm late, he's like, you know, what do you want me to make for supper? What do you want me to start for supper? Uh, the only thing that I take full ownership of, and it's because I'm possessive about it, is laundry. I will, like, I don't even like, I'm sorry, mom, but I like, I don't even like my mom doing my laundry because stuff has been thrown in the dryer that should not be thrown in the dryer and stuff has been shrunk and it annoys me. So therefore, I take full ownership of my laundry because I'm possessive of it. So I'm the same way. Except for if it's with my wife. She does the laundry. And if she does my laundry and gets mad about me not doing my laundry, I'm like, I was going to do it, but you did it. Yeah. But you didn't put this in the dryer. I'm like, ah. I, I put, I like, whatever. It goes in, it goes in the dryer. It's done. <laughs> She's like, no, I'm just going to do it. Okay. Never get mad at me. Moving yeah. on from laundry. <laughs> uh, you, uh, you get to see a fitness industry from a very unique perspective. Yeah. What do you feel as a insider, but also an outsider? Mm-hmm. Uh, what do you feel the industry needs to do better, pursue more aggressively, and what do you think we're fixated on that isn't really worth the time? So, an area that I, f- and I, and I'll say an area that I feel is kind of lacking right now in terms of resources. Um, there's and there's a ton of information out there for women. You know, there's more women getting involved in fitness, which is awesome. It's great. Um, you know, there's there's a huge you know pre postnatal you know, certification movement, trainers happening. That's awesome. An area that is really lacking is women approaching or going through menopause. Mm -hmm. I don't feel there's a lot of resources out there. I've had conversations with women I know who are in menopause who feel there's nothing out there for them Um, in terms of programs, um, you know, they, they feel kind of left out. And I mean, I think if even someone like my mom, like that, and it's great to, you know, obviously get women to lift weights and, you know, obviously we're, everybody here, we're all about, you know, lifting heavy and everything. But someone like my mom who's in her sixties is not going to be maxing out a deadlift, you know? So I think that's kind of an area that I'd like to see people pursue a little bit more and there be a little bit more resources out there. Cause I mean, Obviously, when women are going through menopause, there's there's things you need to take into consideration. Like, what are you going to do if a client all of a sudden is training and they have a hot flash come on? Like, what are you going to do, right? So It's, it's probably because of, as more women have become prominent in this industry, a lot of those women are in their late 20s, early yes. 30s, mid 30s. Yeah. 
So you have a generation of very prominent trainers, the Girls Gone Strong Collective and a lot of the girls around that. Mm -hmm. They haven't arrived at that yet. Yeah. Uh, while I suspect we're going to hit a point where all of a sudden we're this, gonna is gonna be, this is going to get real relevant, but that might be, <laughs> <laughs> might be we'll a decade from now. Yeah. But you're right. It would be really great if more of those inf- more of that information was out there. And unfortunately, sometimes these sort of things don't necessarily work as well when it's a man presenting on the forefront. Like, yeah. like as, <clears throat> as brilliant and skilled as we know Dean is about all this sort of stuff, if Dean is the face of women's menopause in the fitness industry, <laughs> he's shaking his head. No, he could be. Yeah. Maybe he that wouldn't be. work as well as if it was someone like, well, uh, who's the girl we were talking Megan about? Calloway. Megan Calloway. Love you, Megan. <laughs> <laughs> Megan, if by some miracle she ever ends up hearing this, hopefully you share it to her. Yeah, I will. And uh, so Lindsay was telling me all kinds of wonderful things about you at a, at a dinner party not too long ago. So. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe we'll even try to figure out and get her on the podcast. Too. Yeah, she's awesome. If you're looking for, a, I'll, I'll, I'll plug her program. Um, if you're Please. looking for a kick-ass pull-up program, check out Megan Calloway's pull-up program. It's it's pretty awesome. And it's a full-body program. And she does kind of progressions and regressions on a lot of exercises. And she's somebody who I want people to know who she is and start viewing her work a little bit more. Um, I think she's really great. She's Canadian. Um and she just puts a lot of great information out there. And she puts information out there for both men and women. It's not, you know, just women or just for men or anything like that. You know, she's somebody who I think anyone and everyone can uh, get great information and relate to. So she's a female Tony Gentlecore. She kind of is. Yes. And she's super into cats. So they kind of. <laughs> and Star Wars? And techno music? Um, I don't know about the Star is Wars bald? and tech. Is she bald? No, she's not. <laughs> She's, she's not, but yeah, the, I guess in, in terms of that way, yes, they're, they both like their cats. So that's enough. (laughs) What's, what's coming up in your athletic career? So like, what's next for Lindsay? What is next? Um, I am currently now working towards, uh, track nationals 2018. Um, I have a new goal time that I'm currently working on right now which will be to beat everyone goal to, to beat everyone um it, it'd be nice to get back on the podium but as i've learned it all depends on who sh- with things like an individual timed event like that it depends who shows up um i can't control if somebody is able to go you know four to six se- six seconds faster than i am um i i really i can't control that but all I can do is just try to, you know, work hard and try to hit my goal time. In a couple of years, I'm looking to eventually go over to to do the double where I'm looking to do nationals and worlds in 2019. So, yeah. Cool. Nothing big. We following along for that one. <laughs> Nothing big. <laughs> just yeah, the and then uh, in terms of uh, all strength goals right now, uh, I'm super close to finally hitting a 200-pound squat, so I'm really excited about that. As she earlier says she's going to be careful back squatting. Yeah, do yeah. You do, do you do it in the basement? I do. Nice. I do, but this is going to blow some people's minds. I don't go completely ass to grass. I know, shocking. I know some people are going to get upset about that, but, you know. Your husband's rubbing <laughs> off on you. <laughs> Well, it's an important message. You squat to the limit of your body's movement capabilities. Yeah. And if your butt is winking underneath because someone has told you that you absolutely must squat below parallel. And, <laughs> and again, this doesn't 
uh, absolve all the it'll gym, never hit mainstream for gym a bros years, yeah. who, are, who are half squatting and they have tons of more available range of motion because they're going to ego lift and load up way too much weight now that's shit is still bullshit but uh <laughs> you go to the limits of your biomechanics exactly that you can do safely and effectively yeah yeah um uh i'm god i'm hoping to one of these days eventually hit a 300 pound deadlift mm. i'm slowly working back up towards that do sumo or conventional I do sumo. What? I you know. Cheater. You're just a big cheater. I know. <laughs> I don't. I don't give a shit. I. I really. I got. I got friends who get so twisted about this stuff. My buddy Jay Smith will lose his mind about little Asian powerlifters doing sumo. He's Here's just, the thing, though. Is it allowed in powerlifting competitions? Sure. It is. So therefore, it's not cheating. They're all. They're all crazy. <laughs> the rules dictate what people do. <laughs> I'm not even going to get into that one. The internet like, dictates what people do, apparently. Like, it's a very simple sport with like three rules. <laughs> so <laughs> if, Relax. If, if you're listening to this, the plan is we're going to release this one, and then in a few days you'll get a, a episode with Dean Somerset, and he's sitting on the couch waiting for his turn. He's being polite. He's like, I got something to say about hip but anatomy. We got one, one real last question about this Range one. I always motion. love asking this one. Yeah. yeah. Uh, is, is there a book, anything you're reading now, or anything you've ever read that's really influential that you want to share? Um, I can't, gosh, I can't remember the name of it, but it was Clara Hughes' book that she wrote her, um, biography. And Clara is also somebody who was very open about her battles with, uh, depression. Um, yeah, gosh, I can't remember the name of it, but I, I related to her because she, she was also a double sport athlete. Like she's somebody who, um, people know her for speed skating, but they also know her for cycling as well. And she'd meddled in, in both. Um, and just the, the discipline. And I just, I kind of related a lot to her a bit. So yeah, no, I, her book I found was, uh, it was one that helped me a fair bit, uh, to just try to help deal with my depression and everything. Yeah. Nice. And Thank lastly, you. Where can our audience find you, follow your career, and kind of, you mentioned the dog blog. I'm yep. just going to call it the dog blog. Dog um, blog. Where, where, can, where can they find more information about the stuff you do? Um, my, I, well, I have two Instagrams. I have my, my two. dog. Yeah. If you're looking, if you're looking for all things dog and animal, follow at for the love of animal rescue on Instagram. Um, as well as you can also find a link to my blog if you're looking for anything and everything. Um, animal rescue, responsible pet ownership. I also do funny, um, profiles. What I would think, what I think my dog's dating profiles would look like <laughs> up on there. My name is Sparky. I love dog bones <laughs> and digging in the backyard. If you look, <laughs> I've seen them. Not- yeah. Yeah. No, they're, they're quite funny. I have one for Dolly coming up because actually it'll be, uh, a year in January that we adopted her. So I'm quite excited about that. Um, yeah. Same thing for the love of animal rescue.com. Uh, and then there's also my, my personal Instagram, which is at Lindsay Somerset. Um, there's still a lot of dog photos on there. I'll be completely honest, but there's also occasionally I post, you know, training <coughs> photos. You won't see me posting photos of my squat because I don't need dude bros telling me I need to get lower mm-hmm. and how my rep didn't count. Um, <laughs> I think you're safe just because your husband, they made. Oh just... no, I had it happen to what? me. 
Yeah, a few years ago. Tony's still mad about it, actually. That's the funniest part. <laughs> some some of the, what I call the respected industry, uh, fitness industry, does get tons of shit for the stuff they post. Spencer Nadolsky gets all kinds of abuse. Oh, for yeah. Stuff. Brett Contreras is Brett. maligned in certain circles for his glute work, <laughs> and he's brilliant at it. So, yeah. Uh, the bro community loves to hate on me. Yeah. People know what they're doing. I just don't really have time for it. I just <laughs> have better things to do with my time. Um, and then if you like photos of food, then, yeah, I'm kind of a hipster like that. So Food dogs. And food biking. dogs and cycling <laughs> i really am a hipster you know so. <laughs> <laughs> oh, there's, there's your i do write a fixie oh my gosh <laughs> there's your title right there some combination of dogs and cycling yeah guys thanks for tuning in we really appreciate it thank you Lindsay, for uh thank you up. thanks dean for sitting there quietly and being patient it's his turn in a second so guys thanks so much subscribe like share do all the stuff show us a bit of love and uh, we'll talk to you soon bye